Welcome to the CEO-led sales podcast, the podcast that empowers CEOs to gain control of their sales and have predictive revenue in the future. I'm your host, Andrew Ford, and I'll be interviewing Andrew Phillips, the sales expert and the author of the book, The CEO-Led Sales. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the CEO-led sales podcast. Today, we have Andrew Phillips, the author of the book and the owner of the methodology, the person who is the expert in this part of the industry. And we're grateful to have him today to interview him regarding the challenges in the current sales organizations that that most CEOs face. Uh, As we've talked about previously, and as I've read in the book, there seems to be some systemic issues with the way sales is working in in organizations that can be fixed and and repaired and and changed and we're going to delve into the challenges and some of the potential opportunities that ceos can have if they change the way they think and the methodologies and then in future episodes we're going to go very much into the methodologies and the how-to which reflect the content in the book so welcome andrew hi andrew how are you today (laughs) good good so as i said in the introduction the we're going to delve into the the challenges in the industry and i guess i wanted to give some context around well which industry are we talking about what sort of businesses you know is this just australia is it the world so if you can just give us a bit of background to when you're writing the book what was in your mind of the context yeah thanks uh, andrew when i was writing the book i was thinking about an organization that uh was wholly controlled by a CEO, and that CEO would be able to make uh, fundamental changes to the business and the way the business went. So it is relevant for a small uh, local um, Melbourne company through to a national company, regional company, or global company, as long as the, the person that I'm dealing with has the authority and the energy to actually make these ground uh, breaking changes in the in the business. Mm. Um, when we started writing the book, we we did create an avatar of around the fifty to seventy five million dollar a year company, but that's less important than the CEO who is going to want to do the changes, having control over it. For and, and I, I guess the reason I emphasise that is there's no point having a local branch office of an organization want to change if globally the rest of the organization is doing yeah. something differently. This just that this wouldn't work under in those circumstances. Yeah, yeah. And when we say sales, are we talking about retail sales, talking about Harvey Norman, or are we talking about complex sales like IT software? You know, I used to work there. Um, what, are, what are we talking about? Well, I say primarily <coughs> I'm aiming this at complex sales. And the sales are over a, over a number of uh, months or uh, maybe six months a year or even longer. While a lot of the facts I talk about in the book are just as relevant to a Harvey Norman salesperson when you walk in and you want to buy something, the inquisitiveness, the knowledge, Mm. the trust, all of those things are exactly the same. Mm. Uh, Yet, my main experience is in large, complex IT sales. This is very transferable to any style of selling. You will just pick and choose the pieces that you want to go to. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, is that it's... You know, selling is a process of interacting with people and, yes. and idea communication, which you're right, it could be the same with a, a retail salesperson, totally. you know, selling in a small company or selling in a big company, but more likely the CEOs you're going to engage is are going to be the, the larger company CEOs in, in complex sales where it's difficult. Absolutely. But, you know, in the book, I use an example of when I walked into JB Hi-Fi a couple of years ago to buy a new smartwatch. 
And the salesperson, she led me through a whole series of questions. She asked me about what my needs were, what my prefer- preferred sports were. So she actually was inquisitive. Mm. She was knowledgeable because once she found out that information, she was able to uh, teach me around the value of what was, uh, you know, of the product that I was buying. Yeah. And then she was able to help me with selection of that product. So I love being sold to, and I thought that was a good <laughs> process. And that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. so there's no difference. If you're a salesperson and you're walking into to have a conversation with a CEO around a $30 million opportunity, you've got to do all the same sorts of things. Yeah. You know, and it's your job. It's incumbent upon you as the salesperson, or in my terms, the client expert, to uncover the issues and the and the positions and the problems that that person's got. And I think one of the fundamental issues that we see today is our salespeople sit back and they want the customer to tell them every single problem without them asking a single question. Yeah. And you know, a, a good friend of mine talks about sales being a contact sport, and there's nothing truer than that. Mm. It's a contact sport. You've got to get out, you've got to get in front of the client, and you've got to be inquisitive in front of that client. Yeah, yeah, and add value. And, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the problems you see in the sales arena today. Like, what's wrong? I mean, people are out there selling stuff now, big companies are doing deals. What's what's the issue? Absolutely. And, you know, and the, the thing is, companies are making, making their numbers, and that companies are getting on and winning big deals. There's no doubt whatsoever about that. So... The reality is, I see this most significant problem is predictability. Mm -hmm. There isn't predictability in a company's pipeline today. If most companies reviewed their pipeline, they would see that they have about 50% of that pipeline, like the tide, coming in and going out. It just fluctuates around, but actually, it never actually closes. There's always a reason why that deal's moved on. So uh, CEOs have got to start making, they start making um, adjustments to the pipeline. The sales managers are making adjustments to the pipeline because they know what they're getting from the sales team Mm -hmm. uh, are often inaccurate. And then that gets rolled up to a number. They make an adjustment there and then it gets to the CEO. They have to make an adjustment before they go and put that before the board. And everyone is sort of living this this little lie that we're we're all accepting today that the pipeline isn't there, but we all accept the excuses along the way. So fundamentally, what I'm saying is that that's a problem because it creates distrust between team members. It creates un, uh, uncertainty in the in the market, which affects your, your your ability to go and pursue new deals and 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 have the 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 revenue expectation that allows you to invest in back into your business, back into your staff, and back into your customers. So let me get this right. So predictability would be um, having a um, greater understanding of the deals in the pipeline, yes, and and knowing that they're going to close That's rather right. than you know because deals sometimes don't close. Well, absolutely, and there's reasons for that, yeah, there, and there's and there's really good reasons. Like you lose it to a competitor who did a better job, yeah. um, or you know, I read a statistic where sixty percent of deals go away not to competitors, but just because the reason for doing that piece of work in the client base went away. And often that meant that they weren't able to get budget because there wasn't a compelling reason. It meant that they actually were going down the wrong path on a technology decision, but 60% go away. So it's quite well known in the market that the biggest competitor that you face is inaction. And, And we can stop a lot of that, right? Because there are fundamentally going out and asking questions and actually engaging with your client will really quickly uncover uh, issues in that opportunity so you can get it out of the pipeline. Mm. And the other thing, of course, is what often we look at is we look at large complex deals and our all of our experience tells us that these take 18 months to two years to close. 
Yet people are finding that putting them in the pipeline for that year, pretending they're going to close, right? So yeah. they were just never going to close. They, like it was just impossibility if you look at the procurement process in in large scale deals. It just wasn't going to happen in that you know in that quarter or the next quarter. Mm. So the reason why we have this unpredictability, where's it drive from? Is it is it the salespeople just trying to meet their number and look good and avoid? you know, um, having gaps in their forecast because that's not allowed, obviously. Um, you know, you can't say you haven't got any deals on the go or you've got nothing closing this month. So is it is it just a systemic structural problem in the way we're remunerated as salespeople or is it something else? It's because, you know, having worked in sales and large, you know, IT sales, I know that you can't go to your boss and go, I don't have any deals this quarter. They'll be like, well, you need something to close. And so you just put something into the database that says it's going to close. And then you come up with an excuse. Absolutely. That's the process, right? And it's an, I know. And it's it's encouraged. That's what you want. So I think that the problem rests in all three of the areas you've mentioned. It rests with the sales team. It rests with sales leadership. And it rests with the senior leadership in an organisation. Every one of those, all three of those areas contribute to the problem that I believe exists, which is this predictability, right? Yeah. So you can, you can look at my book and you can read the, you know, the 250-odd pages of it. But if you just listen, Andrew says there's not predictability in your pipeline. Andrew says there's a better way, right? So that predictability comes from being able to uncover and identify the critical components of every deal and measure it against a set and known meter, a measuring stick. Um, and so to your point earlier on, sales leaders need to adjust their thinking to look at behaviours, not deals, because deals cloud your thought process. Mm-hmm. When you see $10 million deal with 30 points margin in it, you fall in love with that deal. Mm. But if you were to say, forget $10 million and 30 points, let's look at the underlying structure of the deal. You know, and there's so many analogies. You know, you look at a beautiful house, it's painted so well, but the foundations are rubbish. Yeah. It's not a house, yeah. right? Okay, it might look like a house. It's got termites there. It's actually- that's why a, they painted it. it. Yeah, that's why they painted it. And that's what often salespeople do to dealers. They yeah. paint them up and, they, and salespeople by their nature are really articulate. They are clear. They are, they are confident. And they're enthusiastic because the last thing they want to see is that they are um, exposed because they're pipelines. And, and I often think that um, if a salesperson put as much effort into selling the deal to the client as opposed to selling the deal to the company <laughs> they work for, they'd be much more successful. That is so true. It is too true, right? So true. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting because I, I, I know from my experience, yes, yeah. from the people that I've seen is, you know, you 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 just wish the deal is going to happen. You, uh, totally. And and the thing is, if you don't have the deal in the, in the database or the system or you forecast it, you can't get any resources to then go work on the deal. Completely. You know, Completely. It might be the tender yeah. or it might be yeah. a pre-sales resource, technical, yeah. you know, it could be whatever it is that yeah. you're selling. Um, so there, there is a behavior, but you can't change it because you- You're that, in a, you're, you're, you're That's you know, the culture. Yeah, yeah. And so, so how, you know, how does that happen? How does the, the salesperson- change and, and what would be, you know, if, if the salesperson isn't going to act like that, well, how do they act? What's well, that? And it's really, you, you raise a really interesting point. You talk about uh, pre-sales resources to pursue deals. The other fundamental issue in selling in large-scale environments is it's a competition between your own salespeople. Absolutely. So there's a competition between salesperson A and salesperson B to get that finite amount of resourcing. 
So they'll do what they can because it's a little bit like a shotgun effect. The more attempts you've got at hitting the target, mm. the more likelihood you've got to get it. But if you are able to critically review the deals and in a collaborative sense decide, you know, Andrew and Andrew are both salespeople for an organization and we're both pursuing a target. But if we were able to sit down and go, you know what, Andrew, you've got a much better chance of winning this deal than I've got of winning my deal. Let's put all our effort into that deal, which means fundamentally we've got to change the way people are remunerated and how rewards are structured because today we encourage the banned behaviours because of the way the yeah. remuneration is structured and because commissions and because targets are on individual heads as opposed to uh, you know other conversations that I propose in my, in my, in my book. Yeah. And it's interesting, it's because the people are individually remunerated and the incentives are very high. Yes. Like the sales targets and the commissions yeah. and the accelerators and all yeah. those things yeah. can be, you know, magical numbers, life-changing numbers sometimes. The There's a lot of incentive to work against your teammate. Completely. And yet the company's trying to foster teamwork, which is actually the opposite of what they're remunerating. And I, I don't know who, remember who said it, but, you know, what gets measured gets done. Yes. Is that Jack Welsh? I yeah, think that, yep, yep. And, and I think... You know, that is so true. If I'm going to get paid $400,000 if I close this deal or if I let, you know, the other Andrew win his deal, which is probably more likely, and I'm going to get just my base, I know which one I'm going to choose. Completely. So, completely. The, so it's, not, it's not the salesperson's fault. Right? No, 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 no. It's, not, it's definitely not the salesperson's fault at all. And, and and that's why we need to change things around how what gets measured gets uh, – what, what can be measured is managed and, and the like. Um, and we've got to change – We've got to create the team atmosphere. We've got to we've got to instill the fact that it's better for that company to be successful than each of the individuals and, and having these spikes. One individual having a spike. Now, I'm not in any way proposing the fact that we reduce salaries, overall salaries of salespeople. I I think that um, it's a critical component to success. But what I'm saying is, this needs to be flattened out a little bit mm. so it flows to more members of the team. And the other fundamental issue that we sort of talk about is the fact that. Sales is not a one-off person's activity anymore. No. Every person in an organization is a salesperson, whether you're the CEO or you're the person that greets people that walk in the door, you all have a responsibility for sales. Mm. And I believe that we need to also change not just the remuneration structure of salespeople. I believe we need to change the remuneration structure of everyone in the business. So we actually live, eat, and breathe the words that often you see on the side of company walls. The client is at the center of everything we do. We see yeah. that. But if you, when you look at the way remuneration structures are, uh, are created, the client isn't at the center. In fact, the client is the furthest from the center. Yeah. So I'm saying that there's just no point paying a CFO on how quickly they get invoices out at the end of each month. What on earth does that do for putting the client at the center of everything we do? There's no point paying a, a HR lead for recruiting people in five minutes flat if they recruit the wrong people mm. because that then affects the client. So I'm saying to CEOs, you've got to look at your business and if you're going to have those sentences up on your wall, clients at the center of everything we do and our people are our most important asset, you've got to read and change yeah. your structure to actually support those two statements. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. It's it's interesting. I mean, it's and it's such a culturally um, 
you know, it's a bedrock thing that people need to change. And it's, yes. uh, or, or they don't have to change, but no, they, they don't have to because yeah. you can, you'll still be successful. What I'm promoting is you'll have a better work environment, you'll have better client outcomes, and you'll have more predictability in your pipeline. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, those three things, th- those three things will let you go to sleep at night. Yeah. You know, that, that if you know that your staff are loyal and enjoying working there, if you know your clients are loyal and they enjoy having your people on site and you can go and report to the board numbers, that's great. Yeah. That, that's that's it's that, great. It's that confidence, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's confidence and it's... It, it, and what it is, and it exposes honesty in an organisation because mm. it's okay to have a deal that's going nowhere. This is, you know, to, earlier on you said, you know, you just can't have deals that go nowhere or you can't have a, pot, a quarter that's not um, not going not to close anything. It's not okay to say that today, but it still occurs. Yeah, that's the reality. Yeah, but the reality is it still occurs. Yeah. So why isn't it okay to say it? Why isn't it okay to sit down and say, I have nothing closing this month at mm. all. In fact, mm. I've got nothing closing this quarter yet. I have all the plans and processes in place and I have got an effective pipeline for Q3 that's going to close. And Fred or Mary, my my counterpart, they are going to bring the bacon in yeah, this month yeah, and yeah. we're putting every piece of resourcing into that. That's the mature way to do it. Um, so many other portions of business have that approach, mm. yet sales is stuck at what we used to be like 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. It didn't work then, right? But because sales was much more transactional and much more, uh, you know, you're like you, you were basically dropping boxes more often, you had a better chance of getting there. Yeah. Now the industry is mature and clients want outcomes. Yeah. They really want to have and that. And long-term. And long-term relationships. Re- relationships and outcomes. Then we've got to change the way that we that we yeah. sell and we approach it's, that. It's interesting. It reminds me of sort of like a sporting analogy. You know, Australian loves sport. I'm yeah. in Melbourne, so, you know, AFL is a big thing. So imagine an AFL team where, you know, one of the, the centre people, you know, everyone's getting paid on how many goals a kick. Everyone's paid on that. Just how many goals a kick. That's it. Totally. You've got no backline. Totally. You know, you've got no, totally. no structure in your team. Everyone's charging up to get a goal. A tr- the, the goal or the what, yeah, to get the points. And they don't care about the other X number of players on the field. No. I will only get paid if I get that yeah, point. Not if we win the game. Not, not relevant if we win the game. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas companies need to go, actually, let's pay everyone on winning the game. Yeah. You know, and then everyone will go, well, this is what I need to do to contribute to winning the game, and I'm going to get paid whether I score a goal or whether I kick a 50-metre hit, yeah. I'm still getting paid. Or, or tackle, do a great tackle that saves a goal. Completely. Or, or Completely. whatever it is. Yeah. It's, that's yeah. really interesting. I mean, I, I hadn't sort of really crystallised it until yeah. that, that that's thing. That's right. And, and that's... Really, quite amazing that we've been doing it like this way for so long. Yeah, com- completely, completely. I think, we talk, I think we use an analogy like that in the book somewhere there, because we just it, wouldn't it be crazy if if this if the coach even right the coach of the team uh, didn't uh, you know I, I only got paid if one player gets gets a goal. Yeah, that'd be crazy. <laughs> you know, like so, then that's what we do today. Yeah, but we, we do. We kick twenty goals. I'll be you lost. Yeah, but we kick twenty, we goals. 20 goals. So we we got to we got to get a pay. It's crazy. It's crazy. Whereas if you set single goals, this you know you you can you'll change your behaviours of your team. Yeah, it's interesting. And so the the sales management. Let's talk about that for a minute. So there's a lot of. I mean, you're you're the meat and the sandwich. You you got the pressure yeah. of the senior yeah. management, and you've got the the sales people who are trying to charm you for the resources, yeah. and you know you're trying to figure out if they're right or wrong, and you know they're putting you know, information into the database, you know, if it's true or not, because yes. you're not out with them. Yes. And you can go and visit the occasional client, but, you know, how do they, how do they effectively manage today? I mean, it must be, it must be a really hard job, I would say, um, unless you've got a few star performers. But I, I remember what used to happen when I was in it, you know, say there was 10 salespeople, 
and our budget was, you know, $10 million, they would just give us a budget of $15 million because they knew that so, several people would sell absolutely nothing. That's right. Even if they had forecast, yep. that didn't matter. And, and the pipeline might be, you know, for that, you know, uh, $10 million revenue, the pipeline would be like $100 million. Yeah, which which basically means you're going to lose ninety percent of yeah. it. Yeah, and it's it was absolute guesswork. I yes. think completely, and completely. just hoping some you know someone would land yeah. a big deal at the last minute. Yeah. and usually that involves discounting yeah. or bad behaviours. So so what about from a sales manager's point of view? I mean, they must be they must be tearing oh. their hair out right now as it is. There are so many holes that you just you just covered. You know what what keeps me awake at night, right? You've just covered this stuff. So firstly, CEOs listen to this podcast. You know, you've got a whole team of salespeople on six-figure numbers. Mm. And primarily, if you look at what your sales manager does today, they primarily harass the sales team to make certain that their pipeline's up to date. Yeah. So you're paying your sales leader six and a half figures to manage salespeople on six figures to just do their job. That's just madness. Mm. And you know that you're not going to get your, your numbers, so everyone's put an uplift on the numbers again. Yeah. And again, we talked about trust earlier on. That removes trust because you can't trust the numbers that you're getting through from your sales team. And we also believe that if we've got, you know, this very general term, three times pipeline coverage, we're gonna be we're gonna be right. That came from 20 years ago selling selling uh, PCs and and servers, mm. that three times coverage number, now you could have a $100 million deal quite rightly in your pipeline, which could give you 10 times coverage, but it's one deal. Yeah, You can't give it 10 times coverage. You haven't got 10 times coverage. You've got one deal yeah. with 10 times your target on it. So you should only take half of your target or, or whatever. I've got yeah. a bit of a methodology around that. So, so your sales managers are spent doing admin tasks is the primary role of a sales manager. And remember where sales managers come from. Generally, what happens is they are better salespeople. Correct. Yeah. And you say, would you like a promotion to salesman? Yes, I'd love that. So you take them out of doing what they are really good at, which they've excelled at, sales selling, mm. and you promote them to be a sales manager, which is anything but selling. And it's a little bit of, there's a bit of baby kissing in it because you go out and you see clients and you say, you know, thanks for your business. You're a very important client of ours, and off you go again. You know, yeah. so so it's so there's a problem in that in that part there. I think there's a definite solution uh, to re- that that role in between the the team of sellers and the CEO is a critical role, and you need. Yeah. But I think it needs to be reimagined. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. So so from a sales CEO's perspective, some CEOs listening this might be like, sales is not my job. That's we've got a department for that because you know he's got yes. a legal department, he's got a yes. manufacturing and yes. you know all the other departments yes. that he's got to manage. But I guess, you know, sales is fairly important because it's the only thing that brings in revenue. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's, it's just sort of what you do. Yeah. So it's, it's the re- reason for you existing, basically. Mm. You can have the best product in the world if we don't sell it. And we've seen that many a time. You go broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's obviously. I think it does pertain more to see being involved to more um, complex sales where there, you know, there is a need to be yeah. involved yeah. in some way. Yeah, it's not like we're selling widgets, which you know, it's sold on the internet. Um, so, from that perspective, right now, they probably are not involved. I would imagine in, in a lot of maybe they go visit big customers once in a while, or yeah, but they would get the numbers filter up and they you know, would, I guess, uh, have their own process to deal with, you know, they either trust because they're regular or if they're not regular, then they don't get trust. I mean, what are sort of, what's the thinking at the moment in those, 
in those levels? You're dealing with them in, on a regular basis. Absolutely. How yeah. are they feeling and thinking? I think, sadly, the greater percentage of CEOs do leave sales alone because it's a bit of a black art. Mm-hmm. Often, CEOs come from either the accounting or the opera- operations area of an organisation. They don't often come out of a sales area of an organisation, mm-hmm. so therefore they don't have a lot of sales, deep intrinsic sales knowledge. And where they came from, um, from an operations or an accounting or the legal area of an organisation, um, there was always scepticism of the sales team because they could they saw they saw the first hand they they saw the, the the forecast being slipped each week. So when they get to CEO, they they uh, they do tend to avoid that area, and that's a fail. Uh, a, again, we agree that every single person in an organisation is a salesperson. So my question to CEOs is, why do you have a term? salesperson. You don't need that term. Everyone's a salesperson. We don't take that as a fundamental. And when you hire your legal counsel or your your chief financial officer or your head of HR, you hire for a specific skill set and experience in doing legal negotiations or accounting activities and chief financial activities, which is around strategy and and HR around the intrinsic skills of staff development and enhancing, you know, reputation of the organisation. You don't need, so when you hire a person that you are looking to go and interact with your clients, sales isn't the thing you should be hiring for you. There's another complete skill set that you should be hiring for. And then that's the same in sales management. It's another complete new skill set that I talk about later in the book around what you should be doing in those areas to fundamentally boost up that part of your business. Because yeah. you said earlier on, you know, you know, a business is survive because you've got something to sell and you've got someone to sell it, mm-hmm. right? So if you've got no one to sell something great, you go broke. If you've got people who are great sellers, but you've got nothing to sell, you go broke, right? Yeah. Or you have to discount madly. Those two things you need to fix. And I can't really help you with what you've got to sell, but I can certainly help you with how you go about selling it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's the word sales has got a bad flavor. And I think any yeah. of the accountants or lawyers out there who would, you know, heard you say you're a salesperson be like, I'm not a salesperson. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. A, you know, I'm, a, I'm a yeah. professional. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think it's, you know, the bad reputation comes from the bad behaviour that we've seen in totally. some industries. Totally. Um, and, and who that attracts to do that sort of, because it's almost a get-rich-quick sort of yeah. situation yeah. in some cultures. And, yeah. and and I've seen good and bad, and to yeah. be honest, I've seen really professional, structured people who really do this well, and I've yeah. seen cowboys, really, um, to do it. And so I guess the, you know, the, the terminology needs to change because, you know, I like your your word of client centric because yeah. that's really what we're saying is that what's important is is looking after clients because yes. clients are the people who, you know, are ultimately the the owners of our business because without clients we don't Completely. have businesses. Completely. Um, and it reminds me of I, I read um, a book about Amazon um, and when you know Christmas time because Jeff Bezos was was you know loves growth. You take on, you know, new growth all the time, whether yeah. they're ready for it or not. Yes. And, and it was all hands on deck, like particularly at Christmas. And everybody, the CFO, the legal counsel, the HR people, the every single person, including Jeff, was down there packing the Christmas orders. Yes. That to me is 
Christ-centricity. Yes, exactly. Someone needs their book for Christmas for a present. Yeah. Yep. We will work all night yes. to ensure that happens. Exactly. That to me is the same ethos of what you're saying is that, you know, we should be everybody combined in a, in a team, like a football team towards a common goal, Yes. which is making sure our customers yeah. are satisfied and pleased. Completely. And that's the why. You know, this is the classic Simon Sinek why. Mm. You don't need to tell you don't need to tell the CFO at Amazon to go down and pack the books at Christmas time. They believe it and they yeah. live it. And I think that's the that's the difference. We don't see that in other types of complex sales organisations. Mm. We don't see that team coming together to deliver a single outcome for for the client. So, you know, that's, you know, Northwest Airlines was, the, you know, was the same. You know, yeah. There's that example there where pilots would help load the, Bags. The hull, the bags into the hull, because there was just one overriding factor: we must leave on time, because yeah. that will. The why of that is that will give our clients an amazing experience, and our clients will come to us because they know overall we must depart on time. Yeah, and the serious about it. Yeah, yeah and, and exactly. And we we don't have that often in the IT industry because it's a group of individuals who come together at nine o'clock on a Monday morning and go home at five, but they actually aren't a team. They they don't no. they don't care whether they're yeah. part whether there's partners people and that's why I think but also I think uh, I just wanted to pick up on a point I think sales is a absolutely admirable and really professional career you just don't have people named sales people anymore yeah. you have to have you, 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 they need to bring that right skill to the table and I don't and I so I think I used to lead a group of sales people and I think half the time they spent themselves making up new names, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and, and they'd have these, they had their business cards with anything but sales. So I just went through and said, I want you to have one name on your, one word on your card, sales. That's what you do. And so as a sales leader, I just had sales leadership and that's what I had on there. And I think that fundamentally um, that we've moved, I've moved my thinking on from that because I don't think you need to be called sales anymore. Yeah. But you shouldn't be spending your time making up names. You know, senior account manager, uh, executive, national vice president of this, executive, client, ex all that stuff. It all just f flips around the bush and and doesn't actually do any difference to the outcome. You know, mm. so that's where I. I, th I think I think also that people want the outcome, so the the revenue, the yes. money, the deal. But really, we should be focusing on the inputs because the inputs create outputs. Yeah. Well, well, that's right, and, and this is this fundamental of planning, you know. And fundamentally, if you if we we go back to the we, we think about we want predictability in our pipeline. Mm. We want predictability. We want to know that every deal in our pipeline has undergone a rigorous process of qualification, pursuit, and closing. Yeah, we a rigorous process that's defensible. So. That comes back to the, the fundamental premise that if you don't plan, you don't succeed. You know, and everyone, you know, like this is just, it's, it's written in, in any book that we look at. If you, if you plan, if you're failing to plan is failing to succeed or any cliche you yeah. want, right? Yeah. But in sales, ask, uh, ask your current sales leads and your current salespeople, get them in and ask them one question, which is what is the next step in this deal? What will move this deal forward? And you'll find 80% of them won't understand the question. They won't know what that intrinsically means. Or they'll, they'll say, oh, I'm going out to see Fred. And then you just need to ask a little one more question. What's that going to do for the deal? Oh, no, I, I said I'd catch him up for coffee. Okay, so you don't actually know what it is. When this comes back to, instead of the salespeople having a plan, they're hoping 
the customer is deciding to buy yeah. as opposed to us selling and and you know yeah. and I, I you know and that's one of my cries in the book is thank god our customers are buying cuz we're not selling yeah. and all we're really doing is we're we're like we're like you know the 7 year old game of soccer 7 year olds game of soccer mm. where everyone is following the ball Mm. Actually, no one's in front of the ball, and that's what I'm promoting in my book around. You've got to get in front of that ball because yeah. everyone else is just chasing the ball, yeah. and you're hoping the ball. If, if the ball rolls long enough, it'll roll into the goal. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> what true. a beauty! What yeah. a beauty! I oh, was there. Kick, kick the goal, I was yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and that was that. It, it's yeah. just that's. I'm, I know I'm. I know I'm pretty critical of salespeople, but I'm not critical of salespeople because it's the system that we are in today. Yeah. Sales, sales leadership, and CEOs. We all have to change our behaviours. Yeah. yeah, and then I, th- I think what, one thing I really liked about the the book was. You know, it's not like about how to make more money, how to close more deals, how to get more no, revenue. No, it's about how to deliver more value to the customer, because you know that if you deliver more value and predict their needs and you deliver great solutions, then they'll buy more stuff from you. It's, it's, it look fundamentally, that's all it's about. Yeah, I really was very careful to say this is not about sneaky closed techniques. This has got nothing to do with. Overcoming objections, overcoming objections, all of that stuff. You know, there are some fundamental skills that you need as a, as a, in my terms, a client expert. But it's not about that. What I'm talking about is much better planning to give you a much more rigorous and robust mechanism for ensuring the deals that are in your pipeline are real, and that there is a plan to close them. And the plan to close doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win every deal. I, I'm, I, I feel if you follow my uh, my approach to this, you will close more deals. Yeah. But it will take a time to get that momentum in place. Yeah, of course. What you'll see early on is your pipeline's going to look a lot scarier than it looks now because you're going to take a whole pile of filler out of that pipeline. Yeah. That is not deals anyway, but it just make, makes you feel yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is, though, if you if you work on less deals, you've got more resources applied to those deals you've got less. Completely, which which probably means you've got more chance of closing them anyway. Yeah. But if you have a better process to the value, it's not just oh the client has a tender, let's run through a process. It's how do we position ourselves as being experts in this field yeah. and providing real value prior to any tender. Yes. Which means you're more likely to win it because. You know, that influences the writing of the tender anyway. Completely, right? completely. Yeah, and, and, and this gets down to the fact that if you're doing the right planning and you're thinking about long-term deals, your pipeline four years out should be monstrous. Mm. You, you know, and CEOs check listening to this podcast, go and ask your CFO or your sales lead to give you the four-year out pipeline. It will be zero. Yeah. And it because salespeople don't they don't like, get paid only, for that four year out. They get months. paid for this 12 months, and this yeah. is the structure. Whereas that four-year out pipeline. That should be a hundred times your um, your uh, your predicted uh, revenue for that year, because there is so much business out there that is going to be coming new for for pursuit and renewal that you need to have it in your pipeline because you need to target the right ones because it takes that long to close those big deals, yeah. and no one's doing that. And the things you got to have relationships with, you know, big companies over time. Exactly, in order to exactly. Do that. And you and you and you've got to really quickly get them in there that. Massive pipeline out there, and then you've got to start. And I, I, I'm a fundamental believer that everything should go into the pipe, 
And by a rigorous mechanism of planning, you just qualify out, yeah. qualify out, and qualify out. And the one that stays, it's like it's like when you're sieving for gold, right? You get a great bit, you get a hundred tons of dirt, mm. it gets into the sieve, and then you sieve around, and out comes the the bloody uh, half a kilogram of gold. Yeah. And that's what we've got to do. But if you don't get that hundred tons of dirt in there, you actually don't know where the gold is mm. until you start to qualify and qualify really proactively and plan and a pursuit. You get a pursuit plan in place for those and have a have an intelligent team that can all contribute, suddenly you find the gold. And, and, and you actually may not know exactly where the gold is until you mm. start. Because often often the thing that looks the shiny one isn't can quite often not be the shiny one. Yeah. And yeah. you and and because it looks the best from a distance, you start you you, you everyone gets this it's a self-fulfilling fantasy in that because it looks the best, we all then start to agree it's the best and we yeah. all start to pursue it and suddenly it gets this life of its own. Yeah. And I've been involved in those deals and I've been part of that too, right? I'm, yeah. I'm not making, you know, like there's enough badness in my history of selling yeah. that, that gives me the experience to go, actually, there's a much better way. Yeah. And that much better way, I mean, the outcome for that for the salesperson you know, what are the things that they're going to feel, you know, if, if a CEO adopted this and went through this, you know, it's going to be a multi-year process of yes. cultural change yeah. and structural yes. change. But let's say on the other side, what's on the other side of this if they're going to go through this? So if they believe that their yes, there is a problem and they want to go through a process, what's the advantage for a salesperson? How are they going to, what's their life going to be like? How's it going to be different? Well, it's going to be, it's going to be more predictable and it's going to be honest and they will have the right conversations with their sales leadership and their CEO. They will feel much more relaxed at what they do for a job, and they'll earn more money over the long term because this, this, you know, this stat that I read, and I'm just struggling to find the source right now in my head. Um, you know, fifty percent of salespeople don't sell anything in any given year, and then the remaining fifty percent who do sell something, only half of those get their number. Yeah. So you know, what you're looking at is seventy five percent of your sales team not achieving their at risk. A portion, and I feel that by better planning and greater predictability in the pipeline, then you'll earn more money. You'll have better relationships with your client. You'll have better relationships at work. You won't be spending half your time looking for a new role. I think it's a, it's a great outcome. I kid you not. You'll be have a better relationship with your partner as well. And you probably will. Yeah. When you're paying a mortgage, and I've been yeah. there, right? Yeah. You know, when you're paying a mortgage, and you don't know if that deal's going to come in. And so, therefore, you don't know how much money you've got that year. That's right. Can we go on a holiday deal? I don't know yeah, yet. I can't tell you. I can't tell you because yeah. it depends on this deal closes yeah. and, and then it goes away. No holiday. And then you're like, sorry, kids. Yeah. We're not going to Hawaii this year. Exactly. You know. And it's and it's feast and famine. Yeah. And it's great when you get the highs. Yeah. But it's so bad when you get the lows. And you're, you're suggesting that having predictability because cause I know that in the book, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about this later, is, you know, you're suggesting that sales will get paid even if they're not closing the deal. Completely. Because if they're helping someone doing the right behaviours. And I go, man, that would have been great I, I in my own career. Yeah. Um, so what about a sales manager? Like they're, they're now doing a lot of admin, you know, I've got to, you know, they've got to try and manage the expectation of management and manage the, keep salespeople on board and yeah. try and find yeah. the real, de- what's their life going to be better? Well, their life, their life is exponentially better because they will turn to where their true passion lies and that's in sales coaching. I fundamentally believe that if you have a sales person, my words, client expert, who can't update the, the company CRM, then they shouldn't work for your company. If you need to pay a sales manager in today's terms to do that, then you've got a, you've got a problem. You've got a, a major. Imagine a doctor in a hospital who didn't update the client chart 
at the end of each round. Yeah. Imagine that. What yeah. would happen? Just think that through. Oh, it'd be and chaos. Then, yeah. It'd be chaos, right? And, and also just remember that those doctors get paid less than what your sales team gets paid. <laughs> that's, okay. That's a scary thing. So just it? think that's of that. True. It's, it's true. true. Yeah. It's true. Just think of that. So you have got more than enough right to demand that you don't need anyone looking after you to get that pipeline 100% accurate every day. Yeah. So the CEO can bypass the sales manager, jump straight into the pipeline and go, forecast is this, I have high confidence in it. So what that then does is it says to the sales manager, you're no longer a manager, you're now the true coach. Yeah. Because you've got fewer deals, bigger deals, that you are coaching your pursuit team on the best way to pursue that. So you're doing a rigorous inspection process of the planning process, which is what would fundamentally, fundamentally my role today that I do today is I help big companies do stupidly big deals and I love it. I sit there and I add value at the, yeah, at the strategy level. And I'm yeah. getting in there and I go, that's what I'm seeing. And I think those, so for the sales manager becoming a sales coach, removing the burden of having to do seven forecast reviews with oh. each day. Which is tough. Yeah, and, and listening to lies well. from your sales team. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you go, you know, it's a lie, but you've got to, you know, everyone's, this house of cards just stays there. So, so, so yeah, I, I'm saying CEOs put the pressure back onto the sales, your client experts to go three strikes and you're out, you're yeah. gone. It's yeah. completely- We've got to maintain yeah. the culture of excellence. Well. well, that's right, a culture of excellence. And you know what, really, every CRM has got has got a mobile uh, application these days. If you're, you're on the train on the way home or you're, you're sitting there of an evening, you can update your, your, yeah. um, your CRM there and then and you know it's accurate. Mm. But the reason why it's not accurate is today because it's this fallacy. If I, if I make it accurate, I'm going to get exposed Correct. and I'm going to lose my job. That, that is know? 100% it's the, it's the reason, right? Yeah. So we've got to remove all that and yeah. then you, you've got a much better place. I, I, I remember the biggest cowboys that I ever worked with would not fill in any forecast yes. because they didn't want anyone to know. Completely. And then they just rock in with a, a big Completely. sales order and they're yeah. like, see? Yeah. And you're How like, clever am I? Because yeah. then they can't be replaced. That's right. Because no one knows what they do. Completely. Com mystic arts. Completely. Know? And it's that's exactly what it is, yeah. you know. I used to have a salesperson who would say, you get uh, water and electricity and magically ice appears. You know, and, and it's sort of, it's it, it, that was their way of describing this, all this mystery in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there's no mystery and there shouldn't be mystery in a deal. Yeah. Anyone in the organisation should be able to get onto the pursuit plan and look at that and go, this pursuit plan was updated this week. Yeah. I know I'm looking at the most up-to-date version. Well, as a CEO, I would imagine that, imagine the confidence of, you know, at any time you have the finger on the pulse of exactly what the predictable revenue is. Completely. I mean, that's the dream. Really. Yeah, walk into a board meeting and the board says, how are we going? And you go, we are going to get this number, give or take, this one deal here. I, yeah. can't, I can't tell you about this deal, but I can tell you the deal's being pursued really proactively yeah. and we have a strong plan that I've signed off on that I am really comfortable with, but we've got lots of competition and we may not win it, right? Because you know, you're not going to win every yeah. deal, right? Uh, but at least you absolutely understand where you are up to in that process. And you'd be able to talk to it like, yeah, to a higher degree exactly. than it is today because yeah. because people don't want to tell you. You know, it's the, the everyone's trying to muddy the waters completely mystery. rather than it's mystery. Yeah, it's mystery, yeah, mystery rather magic, than yeah. you know you're you're saying this predictable culture, but it has to start from the top. One hundred percent. And when we when we talk in the book around what, what the next steps are, if you think you've got this problem 
and you feel that you want to be able to, you know, if you think the solution is the fact that you want to be able to walk in and have a good, strong, predictable, knowledgeable conversation with your board, if, you, if you'd like to feel like that, if the sales coaches want to feel like they're adding value because they're coaching deals and, and they're not down the minutiae worrying about whether a deal's got the right close date on it and if you want a sales team who feel respected and trusted and knowledgeable and empowered to either do the deal themselves or help one of their colleagues do the deal so overall the company you know there's a whole pile of steps you can put in place if that's what you want to feel like which i'm sure you probably do yeah so you call it the right model i call it the right model yeah and and that's uh, you know there's a multi-featured part of that model yes. and I think we'll leave that for the next podcast yes. and we'll dig into that yes. and give all the answers you're happy to give all the answers right I mean, absolutely anyway, yeah right? yeah exactly yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've got this attitude of plenty right you know I don't have an attitude of scarcity and I think that that should be one of the biggest hiring mechanisms for every mm. CEO hire only people that have got attitudes of plenty because they will share everything they possibly can because they know by sharing more they, there's a better outcome available Fair to everyone yeah. yeah yeah if the company's going you know, if you're going great, but the company's falling, then what are you going to do next year? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So next time we'll talk about the right model. Look and go forward to that. Detail yeah, and, look forward uh, to that. Thanks for time. Interesting yeah, conversation. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have any questions or would like to contact Andrew, please contact him on coledsales.com.au where you can also purchase a copy of his book. If you're in Australia or if you're overseas, please head to Amazon where you can buy it online. Thanks for listening.